Well, last week, the, the world lost something of an icon when Dan Whedon passed away. I'm perhaps you're like, that's not an icon. I don't know who Dan Whedon is. You're not <laughs> familiar with that name. But you probably are familiar with the iconic slogan that Whedon, a titan in the advertising industry, coined. Over the years, he worked for familiar campaigns, and brands such as Old Spice and Coca-Cola. But it was his first client and his first campaign that, that are most familiar to, to many of us. Back in 1988, Whedon and his business partner took on as their first and their only client a small fledgling sports company based in Oregon. They needed something to, to get off the ground, this small sports company, to, to compete with the bigger competitors out there. Whedon changed the tra trajectory of the company with a simple three-word campaign. Just do it. And for the 30-plus years since then, you cannot see a Nike commercial without seeing those words plastered across the screen. One Nike executive expressed, we get zillions of correspondences from people who say that that slogan pushed them into action, pushed them to do something. Well, this morning, the Apostle James serves as something of a precursor to Dan Whedon. All right. Not promoting sneakers, but scripture. And calling us from passivity and from inactivity to action. To just do it. If you have your Bibles, you turn with me to the book of James. Continuing our sermon series through this letter, this small letter that James wrote, one of the first letters in the New Testament, probably in the early to mid-40s A.D., and this morning we find ourselves in the third of ten messages through the book of James as we look at James chapter 1, and this morning we look at verses 19 through 27. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. James says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed Amen. in his doing. Anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself 
unstained from the world. Now, if you look closely at the passage we just read, we see a dominant theme arise, God's word. Actually, if you go back a verse to the last verse we looked at last week, verse 18, you see it start there. There in verse 18, we read that that God brought us forth, gave us new life by the word of truth. It's this word that we see explicitly mentioned again and again in our passage this morning. If you look at verse 21, we read about the implanted word. In verse 22, we're told to be doers of the word. In verse 23, we see again the, the word mentioned. And in verse 25, James switches terminology, but not subject matter, where he talks about the perfect law. Amen. The same law our sister Ava just read for us a minute ago in Psalm 19 that is perfect and sure, that revives the soul and makes wise the simple. Yeah. If you want wisdom, the the kind of wisdom that James has talked about earlier in this chapter, if you want to know how to live wisely in the midst of trials and troubles and temptations, what you need is God's word. And you don't simply need to acknowledge your need for God's word. You need to act upon it. So so here's the, the main point of our passage this morning. The main idea of James chapter one, verses 19 through 27. God's people must humbly receive and heartily respond to God's word. God's people must humbly receive and heartily or wholeheartedly respond to God's word. It's pretty clear in this passage, right? There's some passages in the Bible where you're like, I don't know what this is saying. This is not one of them. This is about the most straightforward passage you will get. God's people must receive and respond to God's word. So two directives for us as God's people. And those will be the two points for the sermon this morning. Number one, humbly receive the word. We see that in verses 19 through 21. And number two, heartily respond to the word. We see that in verses 22 through 27. First, humbly receive the word. Look at verse 19 with me again. James says, know this, my beloved brother, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. First, just just notice the affection James has for the saints, for the church. He calls them beloved brothers and sisters. The term brothers there is a translation of the Greek word adelphoi, which in many instances, doesn't simply refer to only males, but to men and women in the church. Perhaps a modern correlation for us is, is when we use the term mankind. Right? We don't simply mean men, we mean men and women in the world. In any case, the, these are family members, loved by God and loved by James. They family, not by physical birth, but by spiritual birth. Remember one verse back in verse 18, James says that God brought them forth. God gave them new life. He caused them to be born again by the word of truth, by the gospel. This this message of what God has done to save sinners like us by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to suffer and to die in our place. For those who trust in him, they will be saved and have all their sins forgiven. This is the message that has saved us. That's made dead sinners alive. 
has brought us together into a new family where once strangers and aliens to God and to one another, we are now brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. Well, that, that same word that, that brought us together is the word that still binds us together. It's that same word that we still need. And so James reminds these brothers and sisters what they absolutely need to know. God's word. And so he tells them, let every person in the family of faith, young and old, seasoned saint and new believer, the one spiritually striving and the one spiritually struggling, let them all first be quick to hear. To hear what? Oh, to hear God's word. Amen. The word that brought them forth in the first place, the word that James will continue to talk about throughout this passage. And James's ordering, ordering here is, is interesting, isn't it? Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. That's not how we'd have things, is it? Our instincts are different. Our unspoken rule is that let every person be quick to tweet or quick to text or quick to talk. Listening is something of a lost virtue. I mean, even now, you might be struggling already. A few minutes into this sermon and your voice might be drowning out my voice, God's voice. Already there are internal conversations going on, arguing with one another about will you have that for lunch or that for dinner, about what your plans are for this week. We're all tempted to talk more than we listen. It's not a new phenomenon. It's an old temptation that James wants to warn against and wants to correct. In the immediate context, I think what James has been talking about thus far in this letter serves as a backdrop to the command here. James is writing to a group of Christians who are suffering, who've been dispersed, who are experiencing trials. And he's told them that those trials are from God for their good. God is not tempting you to sin in the midst of these temptations. He can't do that. He's good, and he only does good. I mean, he saved you as proof of his goodness. God is meaning and said to build you up through these trials. But that's, that's not what we want to hear, is it? Right? But, but James wants these brothers and sisters to, to hear that message to receive that word from God. Brothers and sisters, James says, be quick to listen to God's word, to God's wisdom here. Now, if you've been through trials, and all of us have in, in one form or another, you know the tendency we have to want them to be over as soon as possible, to want quick and simple solutions, and to sometimes dismiss God's word, or to be dull to God's word. Or to be disgusted by God's word when it's presented as a potion to help you. You sometimes treat it rather as a poison to harm you. I mean, you're going through a conflict where you feel like you've been wronged. And some member comes along with scripture. With Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 reminding you, brother, be kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God 
in Christ forgave you. Amen. You hear that, and often your first instinct is to quickly push aside that passage and instead cling to your right to be upset, to hold a grudge. No, James says, be, be quick to hear. I think most of us read this passage as if it's meant solely to be displayed or worked out in interpersonal relationships. How we should interact with others. Be, be quick to listen more than talk. Don't get angry at each other easily. Well, that's certainly applicable. But you know, how we interact with each other is but a reflection of how we act with God. Amen. We need to deal with him first. Or rather, he needs to deal with us first. Amen. James is meaning to cultivate within us an eagerness to hear what God says first and foremost. A Christian is someone who takes his or her cues from heaven. Amen. Let every person be quick to hear from him. So saints, how are your listening skills? Has God's word grown dull to you? Uninteresting? Unimpactful? I pray even right now that God would give you ears to hear. Amen. I pray, Lord, give me a desire to, to, to want more and more of your word, to, to more value your words than any other words. To more value your word than my own words. There are a lot of competitors out there. I mean, there are podcasts galore, there's Stephen A. and Skip and Shannon. You've got an endless stream of media flowing through all kinds of means on your smartphones and on your laptops. And none of them evil in and of, them, of themselves, but all of them vying for your attention. Make up your mind to prioritize hearing from God. Amen. Because know what not doing so says. That my wisdom, that the world's wisdom is better, is more necessary than God's. Ooh, amen. Brothers and sisters, be quick to hear from him. Read a portion of scripture every single day. Lock that habit into place as unmovable. Even if it's just a sermon passage for the week. Look ahead. Next week we'll be in James 2 verses 1 through 13. Just read that little passage. Every day, it'll take five minutes or less. Read and, and meditate on it. Don't let Satan tempt you into thinking that if you don't read for an hour, it's worthless. Some Bible is always better than no Bible. Amen. Amen. Right? Some Bible is always better than no Bible. Amen. Listen to an audio Bible if that serves you. You know, for centuries, for thousands of years, the only way that people heard God's word was audibly. Right? So, so don't make this kind of a competition between if I don't read it, I can't listen to it. No, if you are a better hearer of God's word by listening to it audibly than reading it and understanding it that way, do that. Right? The goal is intake. No matter how it gets in you, make sure it's in you. Amen. Invite other Christians into your life to give you counsel. And know that if we're doing things right as a church, most of that counsel will not come from out there somewhere, but will come from in here. Listen to what the Lord says through his people. Amen. Listen attentively to these sermons. Yes, I know they are long. 
Train yourself to hear long sermons. Get a good night's sleep. All right. Have some coffee out there in the hallway. Do something. All right. All right. Take notes if that helps you to stay engaged. Don't take notes if that distracts you. All right. Figure out what you need to listen to what the Lord says. Amen. Friends, just think simply, slowly, on that incredible phenomenon that the God of the universe that, that we just read about in, in Psalm 19, the one who made the heavens and the earth, that God speaks to you. Amen. The Lord has something to say to me. I mean, if you, when you're growing up, you had this, your, this crush on this girl or this guy, and you're just trying to get their attention. You want them to notice you and to say something to you. Mm. But that will make your day. Or, or maybe you're at your job and you're, you're working your tail off to get noticed. You want your boss to give you some kind of compliment, to, to say a word to you. Or maybe there's a celebrity that you are really fond of, that, that if they wrote you a letter or, or reached out to you via Twitter, if they sent you a direct message, oh my gosh, you would explode with excitement. The Lord himself All right. speaks to us. How prideful for us then. Amen. How crazy for us then to just rush along life, treating God's word as on par with every other single set of words out there. As if God's word is just another paragraph in the long line of words being thrown at us each day. Sometimes we treat God's word as beneath other people's words as beneath even our words humility is needed for us to understand that God is always over us Amen. that God's word is always over us we want to be a congregation that sits under it a congregation that is quick to hear and slow to speak because our thoughts are not what's most important. And our words are often only filled with error. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19 says, when words are many, transgression or sin is not lacking. In other words, you talk a lot, be guaranteed you're going to sin a lot. But, Psalm, uh, Proverbs 10, 19 says, whoever restrains his lips, or is slow to speak, is prudent, is wise. Now, James has already told us that our lips lead us to sin. He's already warned us to close your mouth. Remember up in, in verse 13, he instructed us, let no one say All right. when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. Okay. James says, shut your mouth, don't say that. And he'd given wisdom from God's word already before he gave that instruction that, that God cannot be tempted by evil, neither does he tempt anyone. Be quick to listen to that and be slow to blurt out your own words that God is the one who is tempting me. You, you see the tendency for our perceptions, our thoughts to lead us to say things that are not true? And so something better is needed for God's word to shape our hearts and to slow our mouths. Which one of us wouldn't be helped by being slower to speak, by being more careful with our words? We'll spend a lot of time on this in a few weeks when 
when James revisits the tongue in chapter 3, but, but just think back on this past week. What words have you spoken just this past week to folks in your house, folks on your job that, that you wish you could take back? Or, or think back on this past month, what words have you posted that once shared all the way out there, you're, you're now a little ashamed of? How would being quick to hear from God, instead of being quick to hurl out your thoughts, have changed what you said? Mm. Brothers, in that disagreement with your wife, before you lashed out at her, before you criticized her, before you belittled her character and blasted her appearance, mm. what if we instead shut our mouths for a second and reflected on Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25? Husbands, love your wives Amen. as Christ loved the church Amen. and gave himself up for her. Or Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28 through 29, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Amen. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Amen. It's convicting, isn't it? But let it convince us that we need more of his words and less of our words. How much of your time and how many of your words are spent grumbling or complaining about life's circumstances, about what you don't have, about what you don't like, about the way you wish things were, instead of reflecting on what you do have, God's very word. And reflecting on what that word says. Amen. That the Lord has promised that he will never leave or forsake his people. That though we will experience tribulations, that we should take heart. For Jesus has overcome the world. That God is using trials to mature our faith and to give us joy. And yet, we keep talking over God's word. Talking past God's word. And all our talking does is inflame our tempers, make us angry at people, at circumstances, at God. You see, there are effects. There are effects that James is trying to undo here. God's word first causes us to speak less and to get angry less. Be quick to hear and thus slow to speak, slow to anger. Friends, you do not kill anger by counting to 10. All right. Or by doing woo-saw, deep breathing exercises. You don't kill anger by fleeing from certain people or situations that make you angry. No, James says you kill angry by feeding on God's word. And one of the things God's word says is what we find in verse 20, that anger displeases God, Amen. that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, the kind of righteous life that God requires and delights in. So why do something that only harms and never helps us? Mm. Now, the Bible does have a category for righteous anger. We see that in, in Psalm chapter 4. But, but that's not what James is talking about here. 
Right? This is an unrighteous anger. It's a sinful anger that insists on one's own rights. That insists on one's own desires being fulfilled. It insists on one's own interpretation of life being correct. That's at play here. Being mad feels good, doesn't it? You feel justified. But you being mad doesn't accomplish anything but sin. That same person or situation that you feel righteous and being angry about does not produce righteousness. You know what does produce righteousness? What does produce a God-pleasing life? It is seeing that same situation through God's lenses and submitting to God's word and God's will in that situation. Amen. I mean, remember back in verses two through four, where James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And that steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God is using the trials, is testing your faith through people, through situations to produce the kind of righteous life that he desires. And James wants us to let that work continue and to consider it pure joy because of the outcome. But if we reject God's word in favor of our own interpretation of life, what happens is that joy is replaced with anger. That personal situation becomes a problem that you need to vent about rather than a providential gift from God to grow your faith. Let me try to put this in, in real life experience. A couple of days ago, I was, I was at Panera to, to grab a quick lunch. So I thought. Went into the Panera, was nobody there, kind of ordered my, my lunch really quick, right? Placed the order, and I waited. And I waited. And I waited. The people behind the counter were, were putting together all kinds of meals for online orders. But there I was, an in-the-flesh customer standing right in front of them, waiting. After about 15 minutes, I let out one of them loud breaths. <laughs> Which is preliminary to somebody about to catch a piece of my mind. I mean, don't they know I have work to do? It's Thursday afternoon. It's crunch time. I have a sermon to put together. And then, the Lord in his kindness brought to mind the sermon text. <laughs> Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of, of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And I reflected on an earlier passage in James where, where James reminds us that that the testing of my face produces steadfastness or endurance. And this was a very, very minor trial, no doubt, but it was a testing of my faith. How would I respond? In that moment, the Lord exposed selfishness and, and pride. I mean, I'm not the only one who had work to do. They were at work doing their jobs in the order they received them. They were working as hard as, as they could, and, and my job was no more special or more important than theirs. Amen. I mean, here were fellow image bearers honoring God in their work of preparing sandwiches, 
just as I was seeking to honor God in the work of preparing a sermon. The Lord kind of struck my heart and grew in me compassion for them, to patiently bear with them, and to want them to do their work well in the midst of the pressure that managers and impatient customers like me are putting on them constantly. Taking time to run to the word, to be quick to hear, eager to listen to God's word instead of my own wishes, led to an ultimate slowness to speak, slowness to anger. The kind of anger that short circuits the work of righteousness that God is meaning to produce in all kinds of situations, even in sandwich lines at Panera. Saints, we need to be eager to always humbly receive the word. Putting away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, James continues in verse 21. All the moral filth that rises up inside of us and tempts us to act out in sin. Root that out, James says, and instead receive with meekness, with humility, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now, verse 18 already talked about the word of truth, the the gospel that that saved us, past tense, that, that brought us life. I mean, the beauty of the new covenant that Jeremiah 31 talks about is that God writes that word inside of us. He writes that word on our hearts. He puts the seed of the gospel in us and transforms us. But it is not a one-time thing. We don't just receive the word then when we were saved, but now no longer need it. And though James here talks about a future salvation, a final salvation, One that is only ours if we endure. If we keep clinging to God's word as our lifeline. This word not only saves by justifying us, declaring us righteous in God's sight when we first believe it, it saves by sanctifying us, making us more and more righteous in God's sight as we keep believing it. Saints, we need all of our Bibles for all of life. This book is our ultimate and our final authority and our guide. By it, we have been and are being transformed. And we need to humbly receive it for our good. Humbly receive God's word. And point number two, heartily respond to God's word. Point number two, heartily respond to God's word. Look again with me at verses 22 through 25. James says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Verse 21 could be a kind of thesis statement for the whole book of James. Be doers and not simply hearers of the word. James seems to, to know firsthand something of the problem that each of us is presented with. That of a supposed faith that never follows with actions. 
he'll address more of that in chapter 2, calling such faith a dead faith. But here he mentions it at the beginning, at the kind of forefront of it, specifically as he's dealing with, with God's word. Yes, receive God's word, James says. Be quick to hear it, but, but the hearing James has in mind is a hearing that reaches down to the heart and stretches out to the hands. Don't just hear the word, act upon it. Yeah. Rightly respond to it. Do it. Now, now, some people jump straight to the doing. Their whole concept of Christian life is one of doing something. Activity is akin to godliness. Amen. And so some churches, in appealing to the spirit of James's words here, cancel church services from time to time for community outreach events instead. This Sunday, instead of corporate worship, we're going to go clean up the community. Or others will scoff at the idea of a service that lasts for more than an hour or a sermon that's more than 30 minutes. Amen. Well, they minimize the weekly gathering altogether. I mean, we need to be doers of the word. But family, to be a doer of the word, you have to know what the word says. Amen. Notice James's sequence here. Receive, then respond. Hear and then do. James is not minimizing nor criticizing here the, the need to listen carefully, to attentively hear God's word often. What he's saying is, don't stop there. Don't be hearers only. James, again, as we've noted earlier in this letter, is not being original. He's echoing what his older half-brother and more, his Lord and Savior Jesus says. In Luke chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Amen. Or in Luke chapter 8, verse 21, where, where Jesus says, My mother and my brothers, my true family, are those who hear the word of God and do it. James was a half-brother of Jesus. But he became a true brother of Jesus right. when he personally not only heard God's word, Amen. but did it. You see, hearers only, James says, only deceive themselves. That's what he says at the end of verse 22. They think that because they've been exposed to God's word, know what God's word says, appreciate God's word, love to hear God's word, that they're in God's good graces. Amen. Not so, James says. You are deceived if you just hear, but don't do. I mean, you're deceived. If you think you've got money in the bank, simply because you received the check, but never cash it. You're deceived into thinking that your body is healed simply because you received medicine from the doctor, but never take it. You're deceived into thinking that you're righteous just because you received God's word, but haven't responded to it. Friends, there are many people around the world who claim to love the Bible. Amen. They love literature. And, and so they read the Bible simply as a book of literature. And in reading it, especially like the King James Version, they love the beauty of the, the sentences, the, the complexity of them, the imagery, the, the poetry, the, the way things are phrased. 
They can hear the Bible read all day long and gladly receive it. But they have no interest or intention in doing what it says. You find such people not only in the literary world out there, a similar attitude can be found in many church-attending, self-professing Christians sitting week after week, year after year under God's word, listening carefully and attentively. Their eyes are glued to the preacher. They're looking down at their Bibles. They, they read the Bible day after day on their own. Amen. They affirm the inspiration of the scriptures. That it is God's very word that God spoke as men wrote. They believe in the inerrancy and infallibility of the Bible. They believe it's all true with no errors and with no faults. They uphold the authority of the Bible, that it has the final say over their lives. They endorse the sufficiency of the Bible, that we don't need any new revelation, that personal dreams or visions or other books don't count. The Bible is enough. And yet they believe all those things, but don't do what the Bible says. They don't live like what they say about the Bible is true. Friends, is that someone you? Is that someone you? Are you a hearer only? Thinking that your constant hearing helps you in some way, even though it's separated from action, from obedience. Young people, I hope you know that we love having you in our church, love seeing you guys every single week, sitting attentively under God's word. I love the fact that I asked some of you after service or throughout the week, what did you learn from the sermon? What are you learning from your Bible reading? And you can give clear, concise answers. I love that. Keep doing that. Consider it a great grace and a privilege from God that you are growing up in homes and in a church that means to faithfully teach God's word. But with great, great privilege comes great responsibility. It's not enough to know the right Bible answers. Not enough to just show up and hear what are you doing with what you have heard. Don't be deceived into thinking that growing up in a church Hearing hundreds and hundreds of sermons is what settles your spiritual state. Amen. You must do what the word says. Yeah. The most important act that any of us must do in response to God's word is to repent of our sins and put our trust in God's son. Amen. Because over and over what the Bible presents is our spiritual rebellion our inner and outer filthiness and rampant wickedness, as verse 21 puts it, our sin against a good and a holy God. Amen. And how all our sins deserve eternal punishment from God in hell. But it also shows how God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to suffer and die in our place, to take on every single one of our sins and to suffer the punishment from God that we deserve. He died and was buried, but rose up on the third day as proof that his punishment was sufficient for everyone who turns from their sin and calls upon the name of the Lord. Amen. So the most critical act you must do in response to doing the word right now, if you've never done it, is to call on the name of the Lord. 
young people or, or anyone here, don't just know that you should repent and trust in Jesus. Right now, repent and trust in Jesus. Amen. Don't be the kind of sorry, sad souls that all their lives live knowing the right thing to do but never do it. At the end of their lives, live with regret that I should have. I, I knew better. No, right now, don't wait. Turn from your sins and trust in Jesus Christ. You are not too young to live for the Lord. I've talked to some of you all. I'm happy to baptize teenagers here if they are true believers. So be a true believer. All right. Don't play with the Lord. Do what the Lord says. Amen. Do what the Lord says. Amen. Maybe you've already done that. You've already trusted in Jesus. You've already committed your life to him. Well, friends, on an everyday basis, are you committed to doing what Jesus says? Doing what he commands. You, you say you, you, you can't simply have Jesus as your savior. He must also be your Lord. Your Lord who rules you by his word. Amen. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Jesus told another crowd in Luke. Yeah. And do not do the things that I say. You know, we can fall into the habit of religious talk, can't we? We call the Lord all the kinds of honorific titles, Lord, Savior, uh, Master, but he's none of those things in real life. Don't call him Lord if you're not submitting to him as Lord. Don't call him your Savior if you're not saved. Don't call yourself saved if you're not living for Jesus. It looks a certain way. This, this requires some action here. The heart of the matter is not simply if we believe good doctrine. If we love to hear good doctrine, how are we responding? So saints, here's the question. Is your life different now than from when you first believed? Is there growth? Not just in Bible knowledge, but in Bible practice. Don't just be a hearer. For a, a person who hears and doesn't do the word, James says in, in verses 23 and 24, is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror, but when he leaves the mirror, he immediately forgets what he looks like. Now, many of us spend a lot of time in front of mirrors. I mean, you did it this morning. You stare intently at that face of yours, investigating things and, and, and asking some questions. Right? You, you do some interrogations, don't you? Uh, where did that gray come from? Is that another zit popping up? Or a mole? Or a combination of both? A, a zole? <laughs> what am I going to do to depuff these eyes? To whiten these teeth? To hide these blemishes? You got to be self-deprecating when you grow older unless you're going to go insane. In other words... No one stares into the mirror simply to stare. All right. Amen. No, you stare, and as it shows you some things about yourself, you take some actions to address them. Amen. Well, in the same way, no one is meant to stare into the Holy Scriptures, to, to hear what they say, just to stare, just to hear. Amen. No, as God's word exposes some things about you, as, as it shows you the ugliness of your sin, how selfish you are, 
how incredibly prideful you are. You're always thinking about yourself. You want people to praise you or, or to cater to you. As it shows you your, your love of money and your lack of compassion, your anger and your discontentment. As, as it shows you your responsibility for others as an image bearer and as a family member and as a church member, you're supposed to act upon them. Failure to do so is as insane as someone who looks in the mirror, sees how bad they look, then leaves without making any adjustments, as if he immediately forgot what he just looked like. I mean, didn't you just see that toothpaste smother across your cheek? All them sleep crackers still crumbled up into the corner of your eye? Why did you leave and just leave them there? Well, so I hope I don't have no toothpaste or sleep crackers in my eye right now. So is the person who is a hearer only. They come to church, sit under the word, scripture is clearly explained, it serves as a spiritual mirror. Sins are exposed, duties are explained and revealed. They're as clear, the, the commands, what you need to do. The sins that you need to kill are as clear as the toothpaste on your cheek, as the sleep in your eyes. And yet they leave church like there's nothing on their face, like there's nothing in their lives to fix, to work on, to do. Do not be them. Don't be deceived that you look good. Well, everyone else around you is seeing all the things about you. And even if you manage to hide it from them, God, who sees the heart, sees every single single thing about you and will judge you for knowing what you should do but failing to act upon it. Friends, just think right now. What are those things in your life? I know many of your your lives, but, but you know, one of the things we can get really good at is being kind of PR people, right? Putting a positive spin on our lives. You, I don't really know how you are in your home. You don't really know how I am unless you talk to my wife and she's being very honest. Right, we, we can pretty ourselves up. But it don't help us at all because God sees us. And his word is exposing and revealing some stuff. So, so what is it in your life that you know you need to stop fronting about? Stop faking about? Stop acting like nothing is there to fix, to do, to turn from, to kill. Don't be like the kind of person who looks in the mirror, sees everything, and then walks away. Right now, consider the grace of God that that the scripture is calling you to do some things. Go do them. Be like the person who does the word, James says. Verse 25, he he talks about the person who, who looks into the perfect law of the Lord the law of liberty, and perseveres in doing it. He's no hearer who forgets, but he's a doer who acts, and he will be blessed in his doing. With the implication, then, that that the hearer only will be cursed in his or her undoing. Isn't it interesting here that, that James calls God's law, God's word, the law of liberty? I mean, perhaps one of the things hindering you from doing God's word is that you think it will bring you into bondage. I mean, it's so exacting. 
You've already not lived up to it, then why try now? That was one of the things that, that kept me as a hearer only for a number of years. As a teen and into my early and mid-20s, I knew what the Bible said. I believed what the Bible said. I could quote scripture after scripture. I knew what the Bible required. But I didn't have any interest in doing it. Because I thought that doing the Bible, obeying the Bible would end all fun. I mean, obedience to God's word felt like a lifelong prison sentence from pleasure. What I failed to realize was that I was already in bondage from true pleasure. Sin's little sandbox feels rather free-going and free-spirited, but it's rather restrictive. You cannot break out of it to see and experience true joy. And while you're in it, you find yourself just ridden with guilt, knowing that you're not living right. Amen. Because the word you keep hearing week after week, time and time again, keeps telling you at least that much. Amen. But that word also tells you that while you can't live right and haven't been living right, that Jesus has lived right for you. Amen. He's done everything that God has required. Amen. He's met every qualification that you failed to meet. He's followed every single command of God that you have uh, found a way to break. And through faith in him, the word that once seemed so captivating to only lead you to bondage and bring death is actually the word that brings life. The word, the word that, that seems to cut off happiness is actually the entrance way to true happiness. God's word and his commands you find are no longer burdensome when we obey them. You, you see, some of us are waiting for God's word to, to feel less restrictive, to feel more freeing before we actually do it. Amen. Now, the Bible says you do, All right. and then you feel. Right? You find out that there's true joy in the Lord by doing what the Lord says. Amen. Uh, do you actually think that your opinion, your evaluation of things is better? Uh, Lord, I hear what you're saying, but I think this is going to be a better, better fit for me crazy. Well, we find that in obeying God's word, what we see at the end of verse 25, that the one who does God's word will be blessed in his doing. Obeying God's word brings not boredom or bondage, but blessing. Saints, remember that as you leave here this morning and are met with the choice of whether you'll leave what you've learned behind. You know the Bible says to say no to that temptation that holds out some temporary benefits. So say no to that temptation. All right. Do what the word says, and in doing so, be blessed. Be happy. Be truly satisfied and complete. Don't just know what the scriptures say you should do as a Christian. Do it. And not just once, and be like, all right, I did it that one time, Lord, you know. No, persevere in doing it Amen. over and over and over again. Live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. And watch as your desires, what you feel like is pleasing, change. We follow what we most desire. We do what we most desire. So what we need is, is new desires. But don't wait to, to get those new desires. Do what the Lord says. 
And he grows those desires. So maybe the day after service, as you're hanging around in the, the room afterwards and talking to one another, or as you go to lunch, as you text each other this week, as you have phone calls, yes, have small talk, that's fine, but maybe discuss one or two things, specific things, that you need to do in obedience to God's word. One or two things that, that you know the Lord has said in his word you must do. That you've been putting aside or procrastinating about or making excuses. I'm not strong enough. I'm not weak enough. Yes, we know that. None of us are. That's why God gave us his spirit. That's why we have the implanted word. Amen. Amen. Right? We're not working out of deficiency here. Right? Our sufficiency is in Christ. Amen. Right? He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. So do what the Bible says and know that you're not doing it alone. You're never doing it alone. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same spirit who lives in us. So do you really think that addiction, that temptation is so strong that it's stronger than the spirit who raised a dead man? Mm. (laughs) You got to do what the Bible says. You have to do what the Bible says and trust that the spirit is doing something in you. The spirit is being filled up in you. Right? You don't get a, a kind of filling of the spirit by some kind of you know, mystic stuff in some crazy church, right? You get filled by the spirit as you hear his word and obey his word. Amen. And he takes over more and more of your life. You let him in that front room. Mm. Right? All of us let the folks in the front room when we come in the house, right? Mm. But you don't let folks in that back room. They, they better not go to your bedrooms and stuff, right? But that's how we want to treat the spirit sometimes, right? All right, you can take care of this one area of my life. I'll be obedient in that one area. No, the spirit wants to take over the whole house, the whole heart, the whole life. Don't just keep him at the front door. Let him up in the bedroom. What's going on in there? Clean it up. Let him in the kitchen. Let him in in every area of your life. Do what he says and be happy. Be blessed. I mean, sin filling up your life has not brought you any happiness. Do what the Bible says. I don't know where I am on this thing no more. Amen, amen. Amen. If you need some help in, in, in some practical ways to, to pursue obedience, what kind of things might I need to clean up? I love that, that James is so practical. He's like, well, well, let me give you three things. Right? He's like a Baptist preacher. Let me give you three points. Right? Amen. He says in verses 26 and, and 27 that if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before the fa- God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, in in, in following chapters, we'll see that James fleshes out each one of these a little more fully what they look like. But briefly here, we see the the three areas that James calls us to not only be hearers, but doers of the word, a word. Three areas. One, controlling your tongue. Two, caring for the helpless. And three, casting off the world. And first, he addresses speech in verse 26. Right, he circles back around to that theme. Don't call yourself religious. Don't say you're devoted to God. It cannot control that tongue. Right, again, chapter 3 is going to give us a long kind of meditation on that. You are fooling yourself. The fruit of your lips exposes what's in your hearts. Luke chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus says, The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. 
For out of the abundance of his heart, the mouth speaks. Friends, we cannot brush to the side what we say. Uh, cast it off. I'm just being blunt. I'm just a direct person. I was just irritated that time. Well, the Bible says, be slow to speak. The Bible says, bridle your tongue. If you continue to hear what the Bible says about speech, but continually fail to do what the Bible says about your speech, how can you have assurance that God is pleased with you? I'm all for grace. Thank the Lord for grace. Because <laughs> we are sinful people. In this area, I fall short every day. All right? I'm all for grace. We need grace, but we need to just be real. All right. And just say, like, the Lord calls us to cut some stuff off. Right? Yes, we need more grace, but we also need more grace-based obedience. Mm. Right? Grace doesn't just save us. Grace gives us strength to say no. Amen. Right? We need to kill our speech here, our sinful speech. We need to control our tongues. Others, particularly this morning, might need to obey the command to, to care for others here. If you really want to know the kind of, of life, religious life, that God commends as, as pure, as undefiled, James says, don't just stop sinning personally. Also, start sacrificially caring for others. Again, we, we, we tend to live these segmented lives. Okay, Lord, I'll stop doing something. Right? But, but living a Christian life isn't just saying no. It isn't just cutting some stuff off. Right? It's also showing something, doing something positively. Right? Sacrificially caring for others, for, for orphans and, and widows, James says. For those who are the most helpless, God cares for them. Amen. We see that several times in the Old Testament where God calls himself a, a helper to the helpless where he talks about his care for, for widows and for orphans. And so should we. James presses us here to a practical theology, one that doesn't just read up and affirm the value and dignity of every human life, but that demonstrates it Amen. by going after and taking care of those left alone in this world. We'll see some of this addressed in our passage next week when James tells believers not to be partial to the well-off. Here we see the call to particularly care for the worst off. You can have all the best theology in the world. You can have half the Bible memorized. Great. How does it impact your care for others? God's word is supposed to transform us and make us more compassionate like our Lord. Over and over and over again in the scriptures, we see that our Lord Jesus Christ takes compassion on folks. When he sees a leper, he sees a widow. Amen. When he sees a grieving mom mm. who's about to break all the kind of Jewish traditions and touch the casket of her son. When he sees a, a lame man or a blind man, what he does is not kind of say, I'm too religious to deal with you right now. The Bible says that Jesus' heart goes out for them. That he has compassion for them. We're not supposed to just read those passages and say, well, good for Jesus. No, they're meant to inform our lives and transform our lives. 
We're meant to go and do likewise. In our own congregation, let's care for the widows God has given us or will give us in coming years. And the reality is that if you stay in a church long enough, we will see some saints die. We will see some marriages broken up, not by divorce, but by death. Let's be committed to care for widows and widowers who are left alone. Let's care for those who are deeply in need. Some in our congregation have, have cared for orphans already by adopting them. Praise God for that work. May the Lord add to their number. Some are, are caring for the vulnerable unborn by volunteering at the Forestville Pregnancy Center. Amen. Others are volunteering in, in some of the underserved and under-resourced communities in, in our neighborhoods, like Lincoln Heights. Saints, keep showing compassion to others by what we do. And do not wait for the church. Don't wait for the church as a whole to institute a program for you to care for folks. The church may or may not start a shelter for the homeless or a soup kitchen or a food pantry, but you as an individual Christian can wholeheartedly do any of those things can and should seek to do good and to care for others. Amen. And lastly, a practical mark of true religion, of, of being a doer of the word and not just a hearer, is to cast off the world, Amen. to keep one unstained from the world. Every day, sin washes upon the shores of our lives like waves. Don't be washed away with them. Don't give in to sin and temptation. Continue to fight, continue to live holy and distinct lives to the Lord. As the Lord's people live to look more like the Lord and less like the world. Amen. Don't subscribe to worldliness in your thinking and how you spend your time, how you spend your money and whom you have relationships with. You don't belong to the world anymore. You belong to God. Amen. You are his beloveds. He has brought you forth by his word. Amen. He is conforming you to the image of his son by his word. Amen. So give yourself to being shaped by and devoted to doing his word. Because we are God's people. Amen. And God's people Amen. must humbly receive and heartily respond Amen. to God's word. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. What a privilege it is to have the Lord Almighty speak to us. Oh, you, Lord, you're so gracious to us. But Lord, we pray fervently right now, Lord, that you would kill everything rising up in us, Lord. That you would kill the tempter's desires external to us, Lord, to let the messages of the pulpit in, in, in this church, Lord, to let the message of the Bible that we read over and over, Lord, to, to just wash over us. Lord, we pray that you would cause us not simply to be hearers, but every single one of us to be doers. Let each person, Lord, among us be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Let each one of us be characterized by being a doer and not simply a hearer of your word. Amen. Lord, we pray that as we leave this place, that you would keep us day by day. It will cause us to live in a pure and a perfect way as we abide by your word. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake.
Amen. Amen.